Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Leadership Enigma. And you know, one of the fantastic things of the Enigma is that I get to speak to people that maybe I haven't connected for a while. So on this episode, I'm excited because I get to talk to a friend, a colleague. We work together on some great projects for technology companies over in Mountain View, Silicon Valley, and well, I learned loads, and I bet Jake did too. And so our paths went in different directions, but the Leadership Enigma has brought us back together. So we're going to have a wonderful conversation with Jake Breeden, who's the head of global learning solutions at Decada, where we consider what on earth does lifelong learning actually mean? Come back to me after this break. During constant change, your leadership has never been more important to create a better and more inclusive world. You're listening to The Leadership Enigma, a podcast for the insatiably curious to explore the power of human-centered leadership to create real momentum for positive and sustainable change. Whether you're an entrepreneur, business owner, or corporate executive, each week we speak to global experts, academics, rising stars, ambitious upstarts, and disruptors as we discover that success leaves clues. Now, here's your host, Adam Pacifico. Hey, hey, Jake, how are you? And welcome to the Leadership Enigma. Hello, Adam. Thanks so much for having me. It's great. I've been looking forward to this one. You and I reconnected after a period of time where we were doing our different things. And now head of global learning solutions at Takeda. How did that happen? Yes, I have, I have no idea, but I can speculate for sure. Let me say first, thanks. Thanks for having me on the Leadership Enigma. It's um, it's exciting to see what you're doing with this uh, with this project, with the, with the book and with the podcast. Uh, so Takeda is a 240-year-old company, and it's just getting started. It's a company that's uh, future seems even brighter than its long and distinguished past. So founded in 1781 by Chobe Takeda in Osaka. Uh, Takeda is now a global pharmaceutical company with 55,000 colleagues worldwide and lots of lots of brands, lots of ambition, and really exciting uh, treatments and therapies in the pipeline. And I am lucky enough, fortunate enough, to serve in the role as head of global learning solutions, helping us to um, to continue to learn as much as we can about our world, often in a life sciences context, and and more generally, just to um, to be active and continuous learners. Jake, it's great to reconnect with you, and I was insatiably curious in relation to you moving into this role. I know a little bit about Takeda, and it's a fascinating company. I want to start with corporate philosophy, because there is something really quite compelling about the Takeda corporate philosophy, which I think will lead in nicely to our conversation about lifelong learning. Just tell us a little bit about that philosophy. 240 year old, uh, 40 years old, but still going strong. Yes, that's right. So there are many, many things that have changed radically, of course, in the in the life sciences. And uh, when we began, um, Chobe Takeda uh, imported herbal medicines from China to the people of Osaka and had a little counter, a little kiosk to do that. Uh, and, and today uh, we're leading in areas of cell and gene therapy and treatments in in, uh, in neuroscience and oncology, uh, rare diseases, et cetera. So the map has changed, the map, what we cover, how we cover it, how we go to market, how we bring uh, things to market, that map is changing all of the time and, and would be unrecognizable to someone uh, like uh, Chobe Takeda from 1781. Right. However, however, while the map changes all the time, our compass remains the same. Uh, the corporate philosophy that, that you speak of, that's our compass, right? How we know what true north is uh, and, and our, our values, uh, our focus on, on integrity and, and fairness and honesty and, and perseverance. Those, those values, a commitment to, to help patients, that's the same. 
And so what, what I love about this place is, is that I, I've joined a place that know who, who it is, right? So Takeda knows who they are and, and, is, and has that compass, which enables us, I think, because of the persistence of the compass, the, the unchanging nature of the values, of the purpose, of, of the belief, because of that, I think, um, somewhat paradoxically, it enables us to be quite free. Quite, quite free to, to follow the science to, in order to help the patients because we, we know who we are, we know uh, why we exist, and that just hasn't changed in 240 years and is unlikely to change over the next 240 years. Right. But the science is, and the, the treatments uh, will, and, and uh, the, the, the map certainly changes even as the compass does not. I love that framing, Jake, in relation to the map is changing, but the compass, the North Star, is not. And let's be honest, the world has been somewhat bonkers for the last 15 to 18 months and having a very very strong north star having a very very strong philosophy has probably helped hasn't it yeah yeah certainly the, the map has changed in the past um 16 months yeah, uh, I can imagine the um the people of this planet are generally more aware of chronic disease yep. the people of this planet are generally more aware of uh of a pandemic and the need for a functioning life sciences industry to help solve important needs for humanity. So, so, so the map has changed, but you can see how, um, you know, I, I joined Takeda during the pandemic. It yeah. was, uh, it was interesting. Right. Um, uh, and, and I think it was, you know, quite frankly, just speaking personally, one of the reasons that the opportunity really spoke to me is there's something about the way in which the world is changing where I, the, the, the compass was a magnet to me, right? I was personally gotcha. drawn to it. And so now I feel this, um, you know, that this real responsibility to help ensure that others have clarity uh, of the compass and also um, are good map makers. Do you know what, Jake? It's, it's interesting. I've spoken to numerous senior leaders, which is the gift of the leadership enigma for me to have these conversations, where senior leaders like yourself have now reflected deeply and asked themselves different questions and perhaps have made different choices. And is that true of you as well in relation to you seeing this opportunity at Takeda and taking it in this moment in time? It was just right for you? Yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. I'd say, yeah, I mean, you, you, you've known me. Um, we've worked together in, in rooms with um, in Silicon Valley with yeah. high tech companies and working hard to provoke and disrupt and and, and change. And, and um, you know, that, that's certainly still a part of my temperament and personality for sure. But I don't know if it's just because I'm getting old or uh, <laughs> we'll have, we'll have exactly. none of that, Jake. We'll have none of that getting <laughs> old. I, now, people, I mean, you were and you were for many years an amazing global educator. I know you're an author. Tipping Sacred uh -huh. Cows. That was the book, wasn't it? I remember from that was Al back in my more disruptive, provocative yeah, days. That's right. I remember that. I have a copy of that somewhere. So you've done many things. So I, I find it fascinating. You're in this role now and, and best of luck to you in that challenge. I know you're going to actually meet people soon for the first time in roles. So that must be super exciting and also slightly worrying and scary in some ways. Because we were talking about forget how to actually socially meet people anymore. It's a little bizarre. I mean, because it, it's very much on my mind right now in this moment where I'm, <laughs> I'm flying up to Boston um, to, to meet people because as, as things are beginning to, to relax here in, in the States uh, for the past, um, you know, better part of a year, almost yeah. a year now, um, regular Zoom, WebEx, Teams every day, of course, of course, just like everyone. Um, but uh, maybe perhaps unlike everyone, I, I've so far all of the people who I'm about to meet in person, I've only met virtually. And so it's um, it, it's all about to happen in the next 24 hours, Adam. We're just recalibrating ourselves, aren't we, during this pandemic yeah. and beyond. Now, um, I've, I've changed jobs many, many times, and I've always wondered whether that was uh, a problem 
flitting around and, and chasing something new. But then someone actually described me as a lifelong learner. I thought that, that sounded nice and that was complimentary, I thought, in many ways. And that's the subject that we're really going to talk about. Lifelong learning. And I know you've got a point of view about that. So tell us a little bit about lifelong learning, maybe from an individual perspective, before we move on to an organizational one. Right, right, right. So um, Takeda is and aspires to become even more of a lifelong learning organization. So lifelong learning organization, and you asked specifically about the individual versus the organization. So if you look at the, um, the history of the term lifelong learning, yep. we're talking uh, UNESCO, we're talking um, uh, France, uh, early 1970s, this very sort of utopian ideal that um, a humanist way of thinking that we should, in order to maximize what it means to be human, we should uh, learn always, uh, lifelong, life-wide, learn continuously, right. um, that it's the, the best way to, to be um, human. And that if you put that now in, uh, in an organization, well, I'll stop there because you just asked about the individual. Yeah, no, so I appreciate that because I, I'm always thinking about things in a, slightly separately because organizations are made up of many organisms, as in us, many individuals. Yeah. So let's go on to the organizational side of things, a lifelong learning organization, especially right. a global one like Takeda with, I think you said 55,000 people. How do you do that? Right, 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 right. So take the two words learning organization, right? Yeah. So the two words learning organization, and now we're in the world of systems dynamics, systems theory, we're in the world of Peter Singe, we're in the world of the organization itself um, begins to learn. And so what we try to do at Takeda is to think of Takeda as a learner, okay. as this organization as a living, breathing learner, right? And so in the same way that uh, the, 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 the lifelong learning can apply to an individual, you should learn your whole life long, um, how can we help Takeda be that learner? so that the system's getting smarter. And so when we put together lifelong learning organization, we do try to draw on the streams, the both the sort of individual pedagogic nature of lifelong, life-wide, continuous, ongoing learning, um, and also the systemic organizational uh, learning organization and really thinking of Takeda, the sort of, we, we use the metaphor a lot of a garden, right? The garden yeah. to be nurtured, to be tended to, um, so that, uh, we can think long term. I tell you, one of my absolute favorite things about this place is we do think long term. And I had to, it was almost like stepping off the treadmill from all of the Silicon Valley clients that I worked with, where the, <laughs> the pace is this sort of like, you know, you know, the life cycle of a, of a firefly, of a gnat, right? This sort of like so mini, micro, nano, learning burst. And, and what are we doing this quarter, this month, today? Boom, boom, boom. I did, 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 did the website have a good um, minute, last minute? Let, let's check. And uh, of course, uh, Takeda still watching. Is, um, metrics. We do, however, have a quite long-term um, uh, way of thinking. And so uh, to help us be lifelong learners means actually investing in the organization and its people um, for a long time. Now, you mentioned the garden. I just have to ask this question because I think Takeda has actually got a physical garden of inspiration. Am I right yeah. in that? Yes, that's right. It's it's uh, there's an actual physical garden, our homemaking garden, which is the uh, the garden. This is the sort of the manifestation of this idea. Um, it's it's in Japan, and since I've uh, uh, if it weren't for this pandemic, I, I would have been to Japan many times by now. But um, uh, and I look forward to going and seeing the actual physical garden. But at this point, I've only seen the digital representations of the garden. But uh, but we're very serious about about making these ideas that could otherwise be kind of academic and abstract to make yep. it real. For our people and it turns out the garden's an, a nice way to really make it real and, and tangible and concrete it's amazing because not many organizations unless i'm wrong and you correct me jake really talk about 
corporate philosophy. So one of the challenges there must be is how do you take that historic and deep-rooted philosophy, 240 years of learning and pivoting and changing with where we are right now in a you know, a chaotic world mm-hmm. trying to navigate mm-hmm. post-pandemic. How do you blend those two, the here and now, mm-hmm. with the wisdom of 240 years worth of history? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, we do think about a corporate philosophy and the corporate philosophy makes sense of how the vision fits with the values, fits with the purpose and fits with our corporate imperatives. Those those four that might correspond to um, the north, south, east and west. Right. So we we have that um, that that compass. And I, I love working at a place that has taken the time and done the work to really articulate um, uh, an integrated corporate philosophy that really hangs together like that. So the question is, given that, how do we respond to a world that changes so quickly? Yeah. So let's, let's be clear. Um, the world of medicine is increasingly informed by um, artificial intelligence and machine learning, by personalized medicine, precision medicine, by whole new platforms, by, by new ways of treating and preventing disease that didn't exist um, five years ago. So it, we are incredibly focused on being innovative and I like I love the notion of the leadership enigma the name of uh, the name of this podcast there, there's something uh, I think paradoxical about being as clear as we are as permanent as sort of um, sincerely committed to that compass it just gives us more freedom to follow the science to follow the patients to follow the markets and so in, in order to um, to be able to make the pivots uh, as, as we need now I'm going to come on to that in a moment and just help me with this because we're talking about the strength of the purpose the strength of the North Star and that gives you great comfort uh, does that because you you understand always the direction of travel but you have the autonomy and the creativity and the ability to be innovative as you travel that path or is there a better way of explaining it that, uh, no I think that's I think that's right I think that's right um, and, it, and and by the way it's um, so I'm in this global role, and we're very much committed to um, autonomy uh, as as needed um, around the business, around the enterprise. So there are something like 20 other people who work in learning in different parts of the business who I partner with and collaborate with as they're focused in on different parts of the business. And and um, I'm really taking very much sort of um, a support mindset. So what, what can we do in global to support the different um, organizations ex- Externally, or not externally, but you know what I mean, in different business units, different functions, different countries uh, from us. I think that one little example about the way learning works to the kind of autonomy that you were just describing. So let us go back to those days, Jake, when you and I were in Mountain View, Silicon Valley, working with some global tech companies. And people spoke about failure and they even talked about, you might remember the phrase they used, sometimes phoenix from the ashes, that out of Mm -hmm. abject failure came great learning and then the company that we now know as a household name uh, was born out of that out of that failure. Tell us a little bit about your thoughts on learning from failure. Yeah, thanks for the question. It's something that that we think about a lot. Um, so the the headline I would say is that we're trying something new with good results, and in the spirit of innovation and trying things new, um, and and that is a frame around pivots rather than a frame around failure. And I'll tell you, here, here's the idea in a nutshell. Okay. The idea in a nutshell um, is a particular approach to learning from failure is that um, what I experience, I don't know about you, uh, maybe I, I don't know if I'm allowed to turn the tables and ask you a question, Adam, but um, sure. but 
Yeah. But, but what, I, what I've experienced in working with lots of innovative companies, lots of well-intended leaders who work really hard to try to, um, they set out with a very positive, very noble intention. Right. And the intention is we will make it safe to fail. And by making it safe to fail, we can learn from failure. And we want to certainly make it safe to talk about failure. So we create um, psychological safety. Yes. And we have people speak very openly. And so this resonates with you, right? It does. As, as an intention. So um, so my next question is, um, what I have seen is generally it doesn't work too well. And what I mean by that is um, the ambition and the intention does not match the, the outcome. And that when you, that, that it's just, um, it's just really hard to get regular old human beings to say, hey, I, let me tell you about my, my, my failure. As much as we try so hard to say, no, it's okay. Come on, talk about it. We're just sort of biologically programmed to brag. We're, we're biologically programmed to manage our impressions. We're biologically programmed to think about our reputation. We're biologically programmed uh, to, to think about our careers. And so um, it, it hasn't always been the intention of creating the openness to talk about failure hasn't always been um, successful. Would you agree with that? Well, I, you know, when you get the invitation to share your failure, there is yeah. some courage needed, but also there's in the back of your mind, you're thinking just how career limiting is this about to be, Jake, as I yeah. share my greatest failure with you all? Of course, of course there is. Of course there is, and and it and you can be thinking like, yeah, the person who's standing in front of the room telling me to do this is, um, you know, three levels above me or something like. Yeah, sure, maybe if I had her job or his job, I I, I would do so. So here's what um what we've tried instead, okay, and 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 it and it seems to be um uh, very promising, uh, and it's to rather than celebrate failure, it's celebrate the pivot. Celebrate the pivot. So the idea in a nutshell is if I tell you, if I say, hey, Adam, tell me about a time when you failed and you learned from it, you'll, you'll do okay. If I, if I, if I say, instead, tell me this story. Tell me about a time when you bumped up against an obstacle. Maybe your initial results weren't as promising as you thought, but you made a pivot. You learned something. And tell me about that pivot. What we found is that when I, when I give that sort of invitation, people suddenly get really open about the failure because it's the middle of the story, not oh, the end okay. of the story. Right. It's a framing. It's framing, right? You could say it's nothing more than a bit of rhetoric, a bit of framing, but just by saying we're going to tell stories of pivots, pivots of the past and pivots of the yet to be, right? So there's there's two parts of this. It's look backwards at your life as a set of pivots. There's a thing that that maybe you, you could frame it as it was the end of the story, but in actual fact, I think, Adam, you'd agree that we live in a world of perpetual motion. Oh, yeah. This notion of, of projects with a beginning, middle, and end, and now was it a failure or success? It's, it's sort of um, not real. Because we're just always, we just keep moving, keep trying things, keep going. And if I ask you to frame it as a series of a pivot, call it a three-act story instead of a two-act story, the failure story, the two-act story is act one, I tried something, act two, it failed, and then I, I learned a lesson, versus a three-act story of a pivot, act one, I tried something, act two, ran into some problems, obstacles, new information, the world changed, et cetera, act three, I did a pivot, and here's a lesson. Well, then suddenly right. we get the very same conversation that those original leaders wanted around failure, it starts to happen. So I, I could say a little bit more about that, but let me, um, as I pitch this idea to you, this is your first time hearing. It is. Celebrate the pivot. It's a first you, on the leadership enigma. Think? Listen, I love it. And I can see you're getting excited about it. And I'm getting yeah. excited about it. And I'm interested in the human behavior side. So you're seeing positive results in using this approach. I'm interested. And it might be that it's cumulative. Is it because 
you're not using the word failure, or maybe you are still using the word failure. Is it because, as you say, you're creating a beginning, middle, and end? It's it, it's more of a storytelling approach, or is it because it's about you're zoning in on that learning piece about what did you learn in order to pivot and change, amend, adapt? What is it? Do you think that's yeah. creating the yeah. different response in people? No, I, I think it's I think it's all three of those things. Okay, um, and I think. Um, I think just by leading with the pivot, um, it's not like I, we say you're not allowed to say the F word, so to speak. You're not allowed to say failure. You, but but I um, typically when I'm having conversations like this with, with leaders, I I don't um, I, I I don't talk about failure. I talk about pivots and uh, and and get um, get the sort of results that we've wanted. Um, so and and I think the the learning happens because it's. The, the conversation, the reflection around learning happens more naturally because I'm just saying, like, what did you do? And I'm giving people a framework to help make sense of what they did. And it's it's a noble frame. And I think it's yes. empathetic to give people a noble frame. Here's a noble frame to make sense of what you've done. And they say, oh, well, I've done a pivot. I did this. I had this response. It was unexpected, undesired. So therefore, we did this sort of pivot. Um, and it's by giving them this noble frame, it makes the storytelling, I think, easy. Uh, and, and, it, and it does get at the, the kind of like openness around failure because the natural instinct is we all want to impress people with our stories. And if I want to impress you with a story of a time I pivoted, I'm really going to lean into that act to failure. I'm really going to lean in and say, oh, it was terrible, Adam. My goodness. We, we underestimated demand. We had the wrong sort of team. We didn't have uh, my guys. And so like all those lessons are there. Because I know I'm saying, and so what we did is we had to retrench, we had to regroup, we had to, to be more decentralized in our approach. So, so changing the frame um, very much changes the, uh, changes the conversation. Now, I love this. I really do, Jake. I've got a question for you. You've been in executive education and learning for many years. As I said, you were a global educator, right. um, mm -hmm. and that's where we first met. What's this done for you personally? When you started to really think about this, think about things differently, maybe even act differently, what's it done for you? What's been the, what's been the change or the pivot yeah. for you when you've adapted or adopted this? Well, it's just, it changes the tone. It changes the attitude. It's more fun. It's way more fun uh, as an educator, as a facilitator, to facilitate conversations around pivots than it is to say, hey, it's okay. It's all right to fail. We've all failed. Like you bring a different energy to we're pivoting. We're continuous. We're in perpetual motion. We're in a state of perpetual motion. We're pivoting all the time. Let's take a look at the times you've done pivots recently. What was the nature of the pivot? Where where, where did you meet um, obstacles? How'd you pivot? So yeah, I mean, the short answer is, is way more fun. Well, I like that because, you know, psychological safety remains something that's incredibly important for an inclusive culture. Mm -hmm. But I like the word you've just used, and that's it's way more fun. And people probably embrace that, don't they? Just from a yeah. cultural perspective, let's have some fun with this, but also let's learn with it. Yeah, yeah, it's it's um it's more fun to have a um a pivot party than a pity party. And sometimes <laughs> this this the failure is just a pivot party, right? You're just crying in your beer, right? You and and um that's okay, but um uh, this is more fun. So how do you get that to now radiate throughout Takeda? You've got 55,000 people. How do you start to get people to embrace the pivot party where you have people working all over the world and we're moving maybe very slowly from an entirely virtual world to maybe a hybrid well, world? I don't want to get ahead of myself and I'd say it's early days and um, things are looking positive and um, 
little by little um, bright spots. Uh, well, well so let's see. I can say something meaningful to that. I think um, I'm a big believer in bright spots and baby steps, right? right? So um, b- bright spots, where's the good stuff already happening? And you may need to engineer and create the bright spots. And then baby steps, right? Just little steps here and there. Um, and you, you shine a light. Um, if you put those together, if you if you shine a light on those baby steps, um, that can be helpful. And so you know, being um, being thoughtful about uh, where to do the where where to start and, and different different groups. So we're we're doing a bit of that. So what advice would you give people who are listening today in relation to how they might be able to start to have more of a pivot fun approach within their yep. organizations? Where do people start, Jake? Well, I'd start by changing the conversation, by changing the question. Uh, so change the question from tell me about a time you failed and what lesson you learned to tell me about the pivots that you made and what lessons you're still learning, right? So um, change the question, change the conversation, and, and, and that starts. And, um, and, 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 uh, and, and you know, let, let me know how it's going, right? Because this, uh, th- this is new. The, the, the results so far are encouraging and positive. This isn't... Um, peer-reviewed uh, academic research this this is very much in the spirit of here's here's a promising new idea well i do expect to see you in harvard business review in six months jake no pressure but i, I think mm-hmm. yeah, all roads are, should lead there shouldn't they but i just mm-hmm. how can people get in get a, in contact with you as well if they want to have the conversation share data with you share an approach of you and i'm sure you'll be on linkedin or something like that too and i know of course i'm on linkedin yeah yeah i'm, I'm on linkedin and they can send me in an email. Um, LinkedIn is, is a great way to, to do that as well. So Okay, great. So they can find you on the, the normal platforms. So I want to ask you what I'm now describing as the insight. And so yeah. what thoughts have you got in relation to the most powerful piece of leadership advice you've given or received? Now, I appreciate yeah. there's always context around those things. But yeah. Jake, what is front of mind for you? Yeah. So um, what's front of mind for me is you're probably taking the wrong advice. Tell me more. You're probably taking the wrong advice. Okay, so here's what I mean. What I mean is there's advice to support every single thing you might want to do. And we tend to take the advice to support the thing we already want to do, right? So so let's let's just take one example. Okay. There's advice that says you should be a bit more patient and deliberative and 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 really um, thoughtful before you make a decision, right? There's also advice that, that says and research that supports we need to be decisive. You need to to iterate, make a decision, and go and learn from the decision, right? So you can find both of those pieces of advice, both both of those pieces of advice. And so what we tend to do is say if um, say, say I I'm the kind of person who would um, be the latter, like I'd be decisive. Let's make a decision. Let's just figure out um, like a, 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 as we go. The actual advice that I need, the, the more valuable advice that I get from someone who knows me would be, hey, Jake, probably wise to be a little bit patient, a little deliberative. Maybe it's not going to hurt you to rethink some things. Um, you're, you're in no danger of overthinking, right? That's the advice I need. And yet I'm going to seek out the advice that actually supports the thing I already want to do. So just like my advice, it's sort of a meta advice thing is you're probably taking the wrong advice. You're probably like really listening to support the thing you're already doing and saying, aha, it's in a book or there's a person who said that thing. I already wanted to do that thing. So like in, instead of that, like really try to tune yourself to, to, to attend to the advice that you at, at first sort of bristle at and say, well, that, that doesn't make sense. That, that you know, like lean in a little bit um, more to that kind of advice um, because because uh, otherwise you're at risk of uh, taking the wrong advice. I love that. I love that. And that just spurs me on to another question, which I have to ask is, what's been the one thing that you have changed or indeed learned yourself uh, during this pandemic? 
15 to 18 months of bonkersness. What's the thing that sticks out for you as something that you have fundamentally changed or thought about? Yeah, yeah. I spent more quality time with my dog. Uh, my dog Casper and I have taken good long walks. Wait, what make um, and model is Casper? Um, Casper's a mutt, a three-year-old mutt. Um, and, and I guess, you know, that, that does connect to, um, to what I'm doing is I've tried to make there be, well, not, I shouldn't say I've tried to make there be like, it has turned out that this has happened, which there have been times where I haven't produced anything or consumed anything where I've neither produced nor consumed. And yet I've been awake. And that is, um, that being in that sort of liminal space that space that space of nothingness um letting myself go there for a moment um because i, I tend to you know but my natural default is i'm either consuming something often consuming three things at the same time i'm looking at two screens and reading, having a conversation and uh, or, or else i'm banging out some slides banging out some email banging out some stuff and um during the pandemic the, or, or i'm asleep right <laughs> you know those are sort of the three states right Producing, consuming, or sleeping have been my three states. And um, instead, like, there have been times where it's just been, like, nothing. And that's been that's been nice. And when I've caught those moments happening, I felt like, I don't know, maybe the synapses are firing in good ways. It's been healthy for me, I, I think. And, and so I, I'd say the, the one thing I've learned during pandemic is to is it's okay every once in a while to actually do nothing, not even sleep. You see, more good insight. You've changed, Jake. See what the pandemic's done for you? Yeah. You've changed too. Our conversations um, weren't so stylized before. Now I'm <laughs> Mr. Podcast Man here. We used to just um, chat. So uh, I, I don't know. Who this knows is, how this happens? conversations going to be like uh, with Mr. Podcast Man here? I, I think whenever you see me, there'll be a microphone and a, and a set of headphones, which is quite okay. bizarre, isn't it, when we meet and have lunch? Hopefully next time we can actually be in the same place at the same time. I like that. Yeah, Listen, like that. Jake, you've been an absolute star for doing this. I know you've got to run, jump on a plane, one of those strange yeah. things, and actually go and meet the people that you've been working with now for some months. So I wish you the best of luck with that. Thanks, you know, thanks incredibly for being a great superstar for the Leadership Enigma, and I hope that you'll come back and do it all again. Thank you. Join us again next week for more tips and strategies on the Leadership Enigma. We'd love to hear your comments on today's show, as well as suggestions for future topics and guests. Get in touch with your host on LinkedIn or our YouTube channel. And remember to get your daily learning to build success at www.insights.emeritus.org. Download the Insights app and start learning for free. Please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe on all your major podcast platforms. Thanks for listening.